you'll take your copy of scripture, we're going to be in the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 2. And over the next several weeks, as we work our way into the Thanksgiving season, we're going to be talking about gratitude, an attitude of gratitude. And I think it's very important. I loved the intro here that gratitude is a choice. It's a choice that we get to make every moment of every day, of every week, of every month, of every year. And I think we forget that. Today, what we're going to focus on is not so much gratitude, but the attitude part of that. When I was growing up, uh, this phrase was spoken over my life a lot of times. You need an attitude adjustment. Um, I, I cringe when I think about uh, how much trouble and problems that I gave to my parents. Um, in fact, the, the easiest way that they adjusted my attitude, the switch seemed to be in my bottom. And it wasn't until they flipped that switch that my attitude changed. But isn't it funny that that seems to stop when we get older. We don't have people in our lives telling us you need an attitude adjustment. But I'd like to say that I think all of us at many moments in our life, maybe even right now, we need an attitude adjustment. There's a old phrase and we don't really know where it came from, but I love it and I've kept it and it's this. Attitudes are contagious. Is yours worth catching? Attitudes are contagious. Is yours worth catching? We really need to think about that. And that's what we're going to look at today. How does our attitude toward life, toward Jesus, toward people, what does it, what does it say? Is it worth catching? Would we want someone coming down with the same attitude that we have toward Jesus? Attitudes are contagious, is yours worth catching? And here's the thing, you have a choice every day about the attitude that you're going to have. You need to choose wisely. Paul writes the book of Philippians while he's in jail. And it's funny because the book of Philippians is called the book of joy. That doesn't seem to go together, does it? You don't think that someone sitting in prison will be overflowing with joy and writing a letter to other people about having joy. You would think that a letter from jail would be, this is how bad it is and this is how bad they're treating me and this is what's going on and you need to do something about it. Book of Philippians is the book of joy. He says, count it all joy. It is my joy. Joy is overflowing. Even today, he says, I want you to make my joy complete. Paul made a choice about the attitude that he was going to have and the attitude that he was going to have was an attitude of joy because of who Jesus is and what Jesus had done in his life. It didn't matter that he was sitting in prison. Jesus had already delivered him and set him free from the worst prison in the world. And that was his sin. So Paul has something to say to the Philippians and he has something to say to us today. And here it is, make a choice. Attitudes are contagious, is yours worth catching? Let's look at Philippians chapter two and we're gonna start in verse one. Therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the spirit, if any affection and compassion make my joy complete, by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. 
Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or complaining, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. Holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. But even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. Paul is trying to help us to understand that he's made a choice and he wants us to make a choice. And so he says, I want you to make my joy complete. He's trying to help these people understand that even though they're in a difficult time and they're struggling through with a difficult culture and so many upheavals within the church, they had people within their own church that were fighting against each other. In fact, in chapter four, Philippians four, he names two women in the church who are arguing so bad that it's causing problems in the body. How would you like to have your name in the, book of, in the Bible, in a book of the Bible saying, stop fighting? here's what he's saying. You have to make a choice. And he says, this is the choice I want you to make. Make my joy complete. Be the person Christ has saved you to be. I mean, this is simply what Paul is saying under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. I want you to simply be the person that Christ has made you to be. See, here's what happens for so many of us. We know what Christ wants for us, not from us. He wants for us. We hear it in the scriptures. We, we see it taught all the time. But we have within us this idea that we can never be the person that Christ wants us to be. And so here's what Paul says. Listen, make my joy full. Make my joy full by understanding and then living out the person that Christ saved you to be. All the things that we're going to talk about today can be yours and can show up in your life because Christ has given them to you. It's not about you trying harder. It's not about you being better. It's not about you doing more. In fact, it's about you stopping and resting and surrendering. And so here's what he says. Listen, make my joy full. 
Be the person that Christ made you to be. Well, how do we do that? Well, here's what he says. We let the life of Christ shine in our life. We let the light of Christ shine in our life. And he tells us what that looks like. Look at verse 1. If there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the spirit, if there's any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose, doing nothing out of selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind. Regard one another as more important than yourself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but for those of others. Here's what he's saying, that we can allow who Jesus is and what Jesus does to shine through our life. And when it does, it's going to show up in a very powerful, powerful way. One of the ways is this. When we let the life of Christ shine in our life, we become like-minded with him. Showing the same kind of love that he did, united in one spirit and purpose. See, and he's going to talk about this in a minute. We're going to have the same attitude that Jesus had, and it's going to show up, and it's going to look different than the world. So he tells the Christians, listen, let Christ's love shine in you. And what that looks like for us individually as a church is this. We all become one of the same mind. Now, that doesn't mean that we all believe the same ways or we worship in the same ways, but we come of the same mind that all we're here for is to worship Jesus. And all we're here for is to live for Jesus. And when we all agree on that one thing, it's funny how all that other nonsense goes away. So here's what he's saying to you today. Make a choice. What's it about? Is it about the building? Is it about the music? Is it about how funny or not funny the pastor is? Or is it about Jesus? Let's be like-minded. Let's maintain the same love. I seem to remember somewhere Jesus telling us something about that we need to treat others the way that we want to be treated. But it's funny because we treat others the way they think they, or the way we think they should be treated and get mad when they do the same to us. He says, listen, let Christ's love shine in you. Let's all be of the same mind that we love Jesus and we want to live for Jesus. Let's all love each other the way that we need to. Let's be one in spirit and one in purpose. One in spirit and one in purpose. That there is a world full of people who have no idea who Jesus is, who live apart from him. They're living in darkness. They're enslaved to sin. And if nothing changes in their life, they're going to hell. And here's our spirit and purpose. We will not let people go to hell. Out of love. We will go and we will say, God loves you, so do I. Here's who Jesus is and here's how he died for you to set you free. This is our purpose. And we need to agree on that. We should all agree to love and to live like Jesus. We should all agree. But he says, let, let Christ's life shine through you. And when Christ's life shines through, there's going to be a, a difference in your life. And one of the differences is you're not going to be ruled by selfishness or vanity. You're not going to be ruled by that. Listen, I, I'll be really honest. 
This is one that I struggle with a lot because here's what selfishness, selfishness and vanity is all about. I, 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 me, me, me. And I hope that you might get real with yourself and God today and begin to look and say, is it all about me? Is it all about I? Is it all about what I want, what I need and what I see and what I think and what I feel? Or nobody likes me, nobody wants me, nobody's listening to me, nobody's doing what I want to do. There's something that happens when Jesus becomes into our life and his life shines through us. It stops being I, I, I and me, me, me. It starts to be him, him, him. What's the pronoun that you use in your life? When his life begins to shine through us, we humbly regard others as more important than ourselves. Now here's the wrong idea. C.S. Lewis said this so well. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Does that make sense? Too many times what we think humility is, I must put myself down so I can lift somebody up. No, humility is I just stop thinking about me. And I start to realize the universe doesn't revolve around me. And guess what? There are other people in the world who have thoughts and feelings and needs and wants. And instead of saying, you know what? I'm going to blow all my money on this because this is what I want. Hey, you know what? There's people out there that need some things. Let me give to support that. Let me go and help that. Start to think about that there are other people in this orbit around us. And we begin to ask questions like, are you okay? How can I help you? How can I serve you? How can I show the Lord to you? Instead of you're an inconvenience, you're in my way. You're keeping me from doing the things that I want to do. We humbly begin to think more of other people. And that's important because when you look at Jesus' life and ministry, that's exactly who he is and what he did. We're going to unpack that some more in just a second. I want you to think about that. Jesus came to serve, not be served. How is it? The king of glory, the creator of the universe, the God who created everything with a simple word came to serve us and not be served by us. Have you ever really thought about that? Let me ask it another way. If you were Jesus and you were coming, what would it look like? I'll tell you what it would look like for me. Trumpets and angels and parades, and I would come in power and glory and honor, and you better get on your knees when I get here or you're going to be in trouble. Because I'm coming to be served, not to serve. Isn't that fundamentally where we struggle? We hear all of this about being like Jesus. We hear all of this about serving, and then we think, yeah, not for me. I like being served. When the light of Jesus and the life of Jesus flows out of us. We don't look out for our own interests. That's not the sole thing that we think about or care about. We begin to act and look on the interest of other people. 
And here's what Paul is saying. Listen, I want you to make my joy full. And in fact, here's what happens when you do this. It actually makes your joy full. When you stop living for yourself and you start living for Jesus, this stuff shows up in your life. And all of a sudden you recognize you're not alone in this world, that there's people out there who need to be loved and cared for. And that Jesus has given you everything you need to go meet those needs. It is a radical transformation of attitude. So he says, be the person. Let the life of Christ shine through you. But we may ask, well, wait a second. How can I do this? Like this is so hard and it's so difficult and I've tried to do this before and it doesn't really work out well. Like what am I supposed to rely on? Well, great. I'm glad you asked that question because he answers it. If there's any consolation of love, if there's any encouragement in Jesus, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if there's any affection or compassion. Now, Paul is using a rhetorical device. Basically, what he's saying is, when he says, if there's any encouragement in Jesus, he's asking you, is there any encouragement that Jesus could give you to allow you to go and do what he's asking you to do? Is there any power in the love that Christ has given you and the, that Christ fills you with for you to be able to go and do this? And the answer is yes. We are to rest in the power of Christ's finished work in our life. He tells us that we are united and we are encouraged by Jesus and filled with his love. Listen. When we come to a moment and we recognize that Jesus wants to live his life through us, when we begin to say, I don't have the power, I don't understand how to do this, I don't know what to do, rest in this. If you believe in Jesus, you've asked him to forgive you of your sins and you've been made new, you are now united with Jesus, you're now encouraged by his love and you are filled with his love through the Holy Spirit. And here's the promise. This isn't a work you have to do. It's a work that Christ is doing in you and through you. How do I do this? You don't. Jesus does. How can I get over myself? How can I change my attitude? You can't. Jesus will. And so you rest. You surrender and say, okay, Jesus, I know that my attitude is not where it needs to be. I know that I'm not thinking of others. I know I'm only thinking about myself. I surrender. Do your work. I'm trusting in the work that you've already done. See, here's the thing. When we look back to the cross, it shouldn't just be enough to save us because it is. What, what it should be is the, is the encouragement for us to say, if he can do that, what can he do in my life now? And he can change your attitude. And he can change your selfishness. And he can change your vanity. He can actually make you a loving, kind, compassionate person because that's who he is. Rest in the power of Christ's finished work in your life. How do I do this? Well, you are filled with the Holy Spirit and you live in fellowship with him. You're filled with the Holy Spirit and you are in fellowship with him. And here's what that means. Jesus tells us in John 14 that when he's going to send the Holy Spirit, he says, my peace I give to you, my peace I leave with you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. And here's what he means. 
He fills us with his peace, who is the Holy Spirit. He tells us that, that the Holy Spirit is the comforter. He comes alongside of us and he encourages us and he helps us grow. And here's the amazing thing. As God implants the Holy Spirit inside of us, he's called us to go out and be the Holy Spirit in the world. To come alongside people who are hurting and broken and encourage them and remind them of who Jesus is and remind them of what Jesus has said. And again, it's not on you. You ever have those moments where you're with someone that you don't really know well and all of a sudden from the inside, all these bells and whistles are going off. You need to talk to them. You need to ask them what's going on in their life. You need to pray for them. And we shut that stuff down. You ever had that? Standing in the grocery store the other day, talking to a cashier and just this overwhelming desire. You need to pray for her. Ask her what's going on and pray for her. And the conversation I had in my head was, are you crazy? I got 12 people behind me. If I start going in conversation, I know what they're going to be saying is, shut up, move on. And so I squashed it. Here's the reality. That's the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is wanting to comfort and encourage and use you to do it. So we don't have to do it. He does it. How do we rest in the power of Christ's finished work? We rest in the fact that his power and his grace is able to transform our affection and our compassion. That last phrase there, Paul gets a little bit snarky and he says, well, is there any kindness and affection in your life? It's, it's almost like saying, is there, are, you know, are you simply a decent human being? Can you look at other people and go, hey, they're in need and I'm going to help them? Because if not, you might be a psychopath. Here's what he's saying. Listen, is there any kindness in your life? Is there any compassion in your life? If it's there, I put it there. And I want to encourage that for you to be kind and compassionate to other people because that's who Jesus was. He was kind and compassionate. The thing that got Jesus the most, in the most trouble with the people in the world wasn't what he taught. I mean, it was that, but it was how he acted. You ever notice the Pharisees would absolutely lose their mind when Jesus had the audacity to be kind and compassionate to people that they hated. That Jesus had the audacity to speak to people that they said were unwelcome and untouchable. How dare Jesus love people that they don't like? Guys, we're not much different. We can trust that Christ is working in our life when that kindness and compassion begins to grow and we find ourselves gravitating toward people we never would before. So Paul says to the Holy Spirit, make my joy complete. Be this person that Jesus wants you to be. Let his life shine through your life. Rest in the fact that it's not on you. We give up too soon. We hear sermons like this and we pick something out and we pick one thing and say, well, I can't do that because I can't do that. I can't do everything. You can't do any of it. Let me just be clear. You can't do it, but Jesus can. And here's the great way that Jesus can. You just say, I surrender. I surrender. Make this happen in my life. Now, Paul, being the wonderful preacher that he is understands that people are going to have some questions and concerns about this. <laughs> and one of the questions would be, are, are you sure about this? 
I, I, I really don't see this in Jesus' teaching, and because I don't see it in Jesus' teaching, I don't think it needs to show up in my life. Listen to his answer. Have this attitude in you, which was in Jesus. Jesus taught it by the way that he lived. Verse 5. Have this attitude in yourself, which was in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of a man. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Can I just say that we could spend the next hundred years of our life trying to unpack those three verses and we wouldn't even scratch the surface? Does it ever amaze you? Does it ever overwhelm you that God himself humbled himself, emptied himself, and took on the form of a servant to serve you? Man, that's tough. That, that's that's, that's kind of hard to swallow because everything that I know about God is the opposite to that. But not this one, not our God. Here's what Paul's saying. Look at Jesus' life. Who was it about? What was it for? Jesus' life was about others, and it was for the service of them, to rescue them, to save them, and make them new and set them free. Have that attitude. Have the same attitude. Jesus was the example of true humility. He didn't think of himself less. He didn't put himself down. He just said, okay, I'm going to meet the needs of others. Jesus willingly emptied and humbled himself for us. Just, just let that line sink in for a moment. Jesus willingly emptied and humbled himself for you. See, here's the thing about humility when we do humility right, it's the greatest expression of love. It's the greatest expression of love. Because it says, I'm willing to do something for you that needs to be done. Now, here's what this emptying and humbling is all about. Jesus never stopped being God. Here's what he did. Instead of sitting on his throne and looking down at us and saying, well, you got yourself into it. You're going to have to get yourself out of it. I told you that you shouldn't do this and I told you you shouldn't live this way. Well, you just kind of have to deal with the consequences. In love, Jesus says, I'm leaving this place to come to you. Jesus wasn't forced to do this. He wasn't humiliated into doing it. In love, Christ stepped off the throne of eternity and took on humanity. Love. God demonstrated his love to us by becoming one of us. Jesus didn't sit on his throne and say, look, you need to figure this out and you need to get your act together. When you figure it out and get your act together, you come see me. He says, no, this is never going to happen. You are caught in sin, so I'm coming to you. You can't come to me, so I'm going to come to you. In love. Jesus came to us. This may surprise you, but it shouldn't. 
It was Jesus' joy to come be with us. You ever thought about that? It was Jesus' joy to come and be a human being for us. This is joy. And it was his joy to humble himself. It was his joy to choose service rather than power. I had a friend one time who was struggling becoming a Christian and he said, why didn't Jesus just come down as God so everybody could see that he was God and they would just worship him as God and we don't have to go through all this nonsense. And I said, well, God has shown himself all throughout creation and all throughout history and people still didn't believe. So if he showed up and, you know, you heard an atheist say something like this, well, I won't believe in Jesus until he shows up on the 50-yard line of the Super Bowl. You know what would happen if he shows up? They're going to say, it's not him. It's a trick. I ate something bad. I said, I just don't understand why Jesus would do this. I said, because it was the harder thing. It's easy for him to snap his fingers and anything happened. But here's the thing. He chose more difficult. He chose harder he became one of us to deliver us and then he gives us the choice. Because here's the thing, yeah, he could have snapped his fingers and made all of us believe, but that isn't love. Real love comes by making a choice. And he chose to serve and he chose to humble and he chose to die so that we may make a choice to really fully love him. Listen to this. In love, Jesus stepped off the throne to become human. In love and in joy, it was his joy to come and be with us and to live and experience all the things that we do except without sin. In joy and in love, he came to serve rather than to control. And in love, he gave his life for our life. He was willing to do what was needed. He never balked at it. He never stopped. He looked into our life. He knows everything that's going on. Listen, there's nobody that knows you better than Jesus. You don't even know yourself as good as Jesus does. And Jesus looked into all the mess of who we are and he says, I love you. And I'm going to demonstrate my love to you in the only way that you'll ever understand. I'm going to trade my life for yours. Not only am I going to trade my life for yours, but I'm going to give you my life to be your life. This is the greatest deal ever. It's terrible on Jesus's end because what does he get? He gets ruined, rotten sinners and he has to take on their debt and he has to pay off all their sin and shame and fear and doubt. He has to take all that on himself. But what do we get? We get a clean slate. He wipes it all away and then he pours out the riches of heaven on us great deal for us, bad deal for him. But in love, Jesus says, listen, I want to trade my life for yours. Now it's no surprise at what comes next. Have this attitude in yourself that was in Jesus. And this was Jesus's attitude in love. I'm not going to set by when somebody else is struggling and hurting. I'm going to come in love. I'm not going to stand by when they're hurting. I'm going to come and serve. And in love, I can't, I can't allow this to go on. So I'm going to trade my life for theirs. It's no 
It's not surprising what happens next. Verse 9, for this reason, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under earth and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Why? Because of the attitude that Jesus had. Because of the attitude that Jesus expressed in this world because of the love and the service and the kindness and the compassion and the sacrifice. He was highly exalted for this gift of love and it's a a guide for how we should look at our sacrifice. Now I wanna let you off the hook, are you ready? God isn't asking you to die on the cross for anyone. It wouldn't do any good. What God is asking you to do is to look at who Jesus is and look at how Jesus lived and make that your pattern. Make that your example. Jesus was about others. And if that's a hard thing, just remember when it talks about others, it's talking about you. Jesus was all about you. So here's the thing. This isn't about losing everything that you are. This isn't about going to the cross and dying. What it's about is making a choice every moment of every day, of every week, of every month, of every year to have the attitude of Jesus where it's not about you. It's about others. Go and live his example. And here's the thing. When we live in that example, two things happen for us. One is he says that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess to Jesus. We just add glory on glory. Every time that we go and we live out in service and compassion and love, it just adds another accolade to Jesus. It just adds another opportunity for people to to glorify him because even us, even the boneheads that we are that don't get it right all the time have found a way through Christ to love others. And then the second part of that is we get to enjoy relationship to him. We get to celebrate with him one day. Now, I know that that's not the glory that we want when we get to heaven. You know, we, we hear the stories about heaven erupting when people come, you know, uh, to be saved. And heaven roars when we go to heaven. And we think that's going to be us. Like, we're going to walk into a standing ovation. And we're like, yeah, I'm glad you're glad that I'm here. It's awesome. No, no, no. At the end of our life, the eruption in heaven is going to be for Jesus. And when we bust heaven wide open and we go in, They're not going to be clapping for us. They're going to be clapping for Jesus because Jesus was powerful enough to get us there. Now, I love the two little words that come next. Verse 12. So then. So then. What does this look like in our life? How does it look to have a different attitude? How does it look to not be selfish and self-centered? How does it look to put others first in your life? Well, he's going to tell you. So then. Now here's the rub. I've already kind of let the cat out of the bag that these are things that we need to be doing practically. So you can ignore this totally. You can ignore it and stay exactly the same. Or you can listen and you can bring it into your life and see the Lord do amazing things. It's your choice. 
So then my beloved, just as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. This verse gets blown out of context so much. He says, work out your salvation. Now I want you to listen. There's an important word, work out, not work for. Work out, not work for. Everything that he's been telling us to do about changing our attitude and the way that we live in this world has nothing to do with our standing in Jesus. Our standing with Jesus is settled when he died on the cross and paid for your sin and he rose again on the third day to make you new. It's settled. The only thing that we have to do is ask Jesus to come and save us and he does. It's all about him. It doesn't change that. So here's what he says. Listen, make my joy complete by working out your salvation. And what that means is taking these things that you know and these things that you're coming to believe and these things that the Holy Spirit is teaching in your life and let them show up in your life. That's what working it out means. Let's work it out. You got a bad attitude? Let's work it out. You don't love people? Let's work it out. How do we work it out? We put some Jesus in it. Let's go. Work out your salvation. Now he says fear and trembling. Why fear and trembling? I mean, salvation is a beautiful and wonderful thing. What do we need to be afraid of? We need to be afraid of ourselves. Oh, I love this story. There's a pastor named Harry Ironside. If you've never heard of him, go look him up. He's an amazing guy. He loved Jesus and he loved sharing Jesus with people, but he had a problem. He was prideful. Now, listen how awesome this guy is. He went to a pastor friend of his and said, listen, I'm really struggling with pride. I don't know how to get rid of it. I don't know what to do. And here's what his friend said. I want you to get a sandwich board. You remember sandwich boards people wear? They have stuff on the front and stuff on the back. He lived in Chicago, uh, early 1900s. He said, listen, I want you to put the gospel on the front and the back, and I want you to walk around Chicago with the sandwich board on. And he did. He walked around and people spat on him and people threw stuff at him and people cursed at him and he just walked and he walked and he walked and he gets done at the end of the day and he says, wow, this was super humbling. This was really what I needed to put my pride in check. And as he took the sandwich board off, this is what he thought. I don't know anybody else that would be willing to do what I just did. <laughs> Rut row raggy, we got a problem. How do we work out our salvation and why do we work it out with fear and trembling? Because we do that. We short circuit the whole thing. God tells us to do something, we do it. And man, we can't start patting our, back, our backs fast enough. Look at what I did, aren't I so great? We gotta be fearful and trembling because we can short circuit the whole thing. But here's the good thing. This isn't about humiliation and condemnation. It's about grace. God's grace meets every time that we do that. Work out. Now here's the tough one. We do all things without grumbling or complaining. Do all things without grumbling or complaining that you'll prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Do all things without grumbling or complaining. 
Have you ever asked why we grumble and complain? I do, because I do it a lot. Let me tell you where grumbling and complaining comes from. When you are at the center of your universe. I've done extensive research over my 20 years in pastoral ministry, and I've come up with a test for you and for me to know if we are a grumbler or a complainer. You wanna, you wanna learn some of the things that I've found? Here's the test. You might be a grumbler or complainer if, if your outlook or response to life is always negative. If you can find the dark clouds and every silver lining, you might be a grumbler or a complainer. You might be a complainer or a grumbler if you have to point out every flaw that you find in everything, whether they're really there or not. You might be a grumbler or complainer. You might be a grumbler or complainer if you're convinced no one knows what they're doing anywhere at any time. You might be a grumbler or complainer if you have to share your opinion on everything, whether you've been asked or not. You might be a grumbler or complainer if you have to be right about everything, get your way in all things, and pitch a fit when you don't. You might be a grumbler or complainer if you think that this doesn't apply to you. If you're thinking of all the other people that you need to send this to, ooh, I need to go send this tape to her because she needs to hear that. I'm going to get home. I'm going to share this on Facebook 50 times to a lot of people because they need it. So what happens if you find out that you're a grumbler or a complainer? Good news. You found out that your attitude needs to change. And greater news, Jesus is really awesome at changing attitudes. Here's a question. What would it look like? if you didn't grumble or complain for 24 hours. As soon as we're done, you say 24 hours, I'm not gonna grumble or complain. What would it look like? A lot of times in my life, I probably just wouldn't say anything. <laughs> That's what it would look like. People are like, Michael, you're pretty silent. What's going on? Can't talk. Can't talk. Can't talk. What would it look like? Better question. What would it look like if you chose something different? Instead of grumbling and complaining, you chose encouragement. You chose building people up. You chose sharing scripture when they needed to hear it. You chose speaking grace at a time of need. Let me tell you what it would look like. It would look like freeing yourself from your selfishness. It would free you from thinking about yourself and your wants and your needs and you would shine as a light in this dark world. Remember he says that? Do all things without grumbling or complaining and you will shine as lights. Listen, this isn't letting us off the hook, but it's just reality. We are flooded with grumbling and complaining. Flip on the TV, what do you see? Somebody on there with an opinion about something and they're mad at somebody else because they're not doing it the way they want them to do it. Is it really a surprise that that starts becoming our mindset and our attitude and the, what, what we say and what we think? No. But you have a choice. 
He says, hold fast the word of life. We need to anchor ourselves in Jesus. And here's the thing. If you really want to know who Jesus is and what he's done, read his word. It tells you. You're ever struggling with what the Bible's all about? Let me tell you one word, Jesus. John 20, 31, these things have been written to you so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, and find life in his name. Anchor yourself in that, and you will anchor yourself in Jesus. And I love this. He ends and says, listen, I'm pouring my life as an offering to God, and I want you to pour your life out as an offering to God. The whole sum of this is that we begin to see that all of these things are ways that we can show God how we love him. And so we pour ourselves out on changing our attitude and we pour ourselves out on letting Christ's life shine through us. And we pour ourselves out on kindness and compassion and loving people. I had a professor, not a professor, my pastor in New Orleans. He used to pray and I, I'll be honest, I just didn't understand it at first. He used to pray, Lord, use me like spare change. Now, I know that's not much of a thing anymore. None of us really ever carry cash. But what happens when you have spare change? Do you worry if you drop it? Do you worry if you throw it in the counter for the extra you know, change so somebody else can have it? Do you worry if you give it to somebody else? No. And here's what he would pray. Here's what Paul is saying. God, pour us out for you. Spend us, use us, take everything from, pour us out for you. Let us be like spare change that you just spend on everyone and everything without a care. Here's two questions as we close. Question number one, attitudes are contagious. Is yours worth catching? Question number two, do you need an attitude adjustment? Maybe you're here today and you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Your attitude needs to change. Your attitude needs to change toward him and understand that he's your only hope. Your only hope of forgiveness, your only hope of freedom, your only hope of life and everlasting abundant life forever. He's your only hope of change in your life. So do you want to make a change today? You can. Are you here and you're struggling with things in your life and you just recognize I need an attitude change? Maybe it's sin. Maybe it's shame. Maybe it's stuff from the past. Maybe it's attitudes that you have about people or the way that you treat people. I don't know. But the Holy Spirit does and he's talking to you right now. See, here's the hope. This isn't about punishing your attitude. It's about giving you hope that there can be a change. And here's the change. I repent, I confess, and he forgives. It's up to you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, we praise you, and we love you. And I pray right now that you would help us really see ourselves for who we are and see the attitudes that we have. And God, that we would recognize that we can make a choice and you can make a change. Do not let us leave this place today without confronting that and asking ourselves the question, is my attitude contagious? Would I want people to have the attitude that I have right now? And if the answer is no, you can change. 
Father, help us to say yes. It's in Jesus' name we pray.